Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. This is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. First show back in 2020. After a few weeks break, Talking Health Tech is back to bring you the latest in insights and stories from doctors, developers and decision makers around the world, all contributing to better healthcare enabled by tech. We already have some super exciting guests lined up for this year, and I can't wait to share the details of those with you a bit later on. But on the show today, it's an absolutely epic one. Back in November, I attended the Medical Software Industry Association's 2019 Annual Summit and AGM in Australia, or the MSIA. I highly recommend to any software vendor looking to progress within the Australian healthcare landscape to consider becoming a member of the MSIA and contributing to the growth of that association. The MSIA acts as the voice of the industry when it comes to representing the needs of software vendors to government and regulatory bodies, as well as provide members an opportunity to network with peers and tackle meaningful problems together. So the theme of the summit from the MSIA on that day was Limitless Health Software Transforming Australia's Healthcare. The event was attended by over 100 members of the MSIA and had guest speakers from all over the country, as well as a special international guest. So I was lucky enough to set up my recording equipment and a desk off to the side of the stage and was able to grab some different speakers throughout the day to get their insights for you on this podcast. In this episode, I'll share with you five of these conversations that cover a broad spectrum of important issues that are pertinent to Australia's healthcare technology scene today. The first discussion I had at the MSIA 2019 Summit was with Aman Godoski, the Vice President of Asia Pacific at Zora. When I caught him on for a chat, he was preparing for his talk, which was titled The Healthcare Subscription Economy. Iman, thanks so much for dropping by. Thanks, Peter. Tell us a bit more about Zora and what you do there. So Zora is a technology company founded in uh, the Silicon Valley in the United States um, about a decade ago. And um, what, what we do is we help organizations from all around the world pivot and move into what we call the subscription economy. And the subscription economy is a shift in the way that consumers and businesses are conducting commerce in a new world. Um, and, and a good example you could probably use um, is if you look at uh, organizations like Uber, Spotify, Netflix, and the changes that they're bringing into our everyday life and the way we consume goods and services through those organizations. We believe um, and we're seeing that every industry in the world is uh, due for disruption and the subscription economy is going to be the enabler of that. Interesting. So this is the the Medical Software Industry Association focused predominantly on healthcare. It sounds like you're not just involved in healthcare, you're involved in a number of different things. Yeah. So for us, it's the change in the relationship between uh, the buyer and the seller. So in this instance, it could be the uh, it could be the the medical practice and the patients. Now the, the the patient in the new world that's used to being able to consume their goods and services through services like Netflix and Uber mm. requires a different uh, different experience when it comes to you know walking into the local medical center mm-hmm. um, and so it's it's all about building that experience and uh, providing that experience to the end and, and consumer and we're seeing things like you know remote um, diagnosis by by doctors and mm-hmm. uh, you know the the old uh, traditional d- d- medical practice is changing mm-hmm. um, to the way it was the way you engage so you no longer have to go and sit uh, and you know in a, in a practice for an hour while you wait for your turn you know they can send you a text message and 
and yes. you know get you get get you in the queue and all all that kind of good, good stuff. Yeah. It's all about that. It's all about providing the experience mm. to the end consumer or mm-hmm. the patients um, as as the as the world evolves and everything becomes digitized. Yeah, excellent. And so you're you're speaking here at the conference shortly, and I think and I've, I've got to let you go soon because you're going to be talking soon. But um, what's the um, the high level summary of your of what you'll be covering in that talk there. So the high, look, the high level summary is that it's all about relationships, um, and regardless of what industry you're in, it's no longer about selling a service or a product anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about understanding the consumer, mm-hmm. understanding your customer, and being able to build a ongoing relationship which you can monetize with that individual. Now, healthcare is obviously quite an interesting um, industry in that you know you have a, a whole bunch of new players trying to. Uh, Come in and uh, capitalize on that, um, and it's 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 all about patient care, but it's also about providing an experience um, to the to the end patients and the consumers in the way they go about things. It's going to be a lot of interested uh, software vendors uh, listening into that talk. But do you have do you have customers that are both like so? Your end customers are they? Uh, software providers or are they the NGPs or is it a little bit of both like when you're looking at healthcare it, look it could be it could be it could be anything and everything so mm-hmm. it could be the end uh, the, the NGPs it could be the software providers that provide software for those GPs mm-hmm. um, it could be manufacturers like um, like Philips for example it could be manufacturers like Siemens yes that are there are some of our customers um, and you know it's if I take the example of uh, you know dental hygiene and Philips has uh, has created a you know a smart toothbrush, which is uh, you know they're, and they're using the subscription economy to try to engage with the end customer. Have you got to pay a monthly subscription for your toothbrush for your now? Toothbrush, for toothbrush heads. Oh, and, and these toothbrushes are getting pretty smart, so they're going to be uh, you know they, they, they're they're able to sort of figure out are you doing. You know, are you brushing your teeth properly? And you know, uh, you know, what what are you missing? And it you sounds know. like it sounds almost sounds like a joke. Someone said, "Oh, we should just do it for toothbrushes now." And then someone's gone, "Oh, okay, I'll go off and do that too." And then yeah, there you go. so it's wow. The examples all around us. Uh, yeah. You know, I think about five six years ago, there was a company um, called Dollar Shave Club, uh, which is which is quite yeah, an interesting of one. Course. Yeah. So those those like guys so, yeah. came up with uh, you know disposable razors to, took on you know heavy weights like Gillette. Mm. Um, and you know they they ended up selling the company for about a billion dollars to one of the conglomerates. Wow. So um, now they, they didn't sell the assets of uh, of razors; they sold the IP and the know how of how to engage with the end consumer and build a recurring revenue relationship mm. with customers that delivers value. And that's what the subscription economy is all about. Fascinating. Well, look, Iman, that's going to be something so exciting to talk about. I'm looking forward to seeing you talk. I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you, Peter. The next chat was with Igor Zvedakovsky, the Chief Product Officer for Message Media Group. Igor was presenting to the attendees at the 2019 MSIA Summit on the future of customer communication. In my discussion with Igor, I managed to get a sneak peek on what was to be covered in his talk. Igor, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Tell us a bit more about Message Media and what you do. Yeah, so Message Media Group um, has been around for 20-odd years now. we're a business messaging and customer engagement platform. And what I mean by that is we build the products and technology that uh, help our customers engage better with their customers. We typically do that through SMS messaging right. and a lot more than that. Um, so often when a, an appointment reminder is sent out from your medical practitioner, mm. the, there's a high likely chance that that's come from message media. Okay. Uh, and we're, you know, we're a business that's been around for a little while. We're 
we're at the moment sending just over 2 billion SMS messages every year. Wow. And that ranges you know, across every industry. There's servicing over 50,000 customers globally from yes. appointment reminders to mm. PIN codes, uh, server alerts, you, you name it. Yeah. And so is healthcare any different to any other industry that you might service in terms of the customers that you, you look after? Have they got niche requirements or is it what you do kind of can be applied in a number of different industries? Um, I think what we find is that there is a lot of overlap between industries. Mm. Um, ultimately, you know, every business is trying to do the same thing, and that is, you know, trying to engage with their customers and get new customers. Mm. Mm. Um, and ultimately, when it kind of boils down, it's it's everyone's trying to achieve very similar things. Yeah. Uh, but at a product level, what it does mean for us is we need to cater for the nuances between different industries. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And so you're speaking later today at the MSIA Summit. Um, can you give us a bit of a rundown of what you might be covering? Yeah, so my talk is about the future of customer communications. And in fact, this talk is more specifically about the future of patient communications. Mm. Um, I guess what I want to talk about is the idea of the future being more patient-initiated, more conversational, mm -hmm. and more asynchronous. And what I mean by asynchronous is that non-real-time conversation. The way that in our personal lives we've become accustomed to messaging into our friend and getting a response, perhaps not immediately, but soon enough. And having that kind of conversation, that kind of two-way conversation in a non-real-time way, mm. um, allows for a greater experience. Mm -hmm. It does so because it eliminates those problems of inconvenience that you might have when you, you know, you want to call to your medical, call your medical practitioner and you're thinking about, well, I need to find some time to make that call. I need to think about all the questions I have to ask to yes. be ready for that call. Uh, and if I'm receiving a call from my, my GP, for example, I need to go quickly find a room that's private where yeah. I can have that conversation. And this, you know, the future, I think, eliminates those inconvenient moments. Yeah. Often I find that, you know, us as patients, as end users, are really ready and calling for this kind of technology, but often it's the um, it's at the other end that might need to catch up, whether it's the uh, whether it's practices, whether it's the technology, whether it's the, um, you know, regulatory around it that, that kind of might delay the uh, implementation of, these kinds of technologies to be able to, you know, uh, do this kind of thing. Where do you find any challenges in the healthcare space or, or just barriers or things that you need to focus on specifically that um, as message media you're, you're honing it on to make it better for the healthcare space? You know, I think we often try and get ahead of ourselves. And what I mean by that is we think about things like AI and automating a whole bunch of things. Yeah. And um, while that's certainly part of the future, the here and now also requires human interaction. Mm. And so the tools and the products and the technology that we need to build need to make it convenient for the patient and efficient for the medical practice. And this mm. is where partners like Message Media together with the medical software industry can enable that. Mm. Igor, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Next up was Dr. Ruth Webster, the Global Head of Medicine at the George Health Technologies. Dr. Webster participated on the panel moderated by Dr. Harry Nespel entitled, What Do We Want From Health Software and How Do We Get It? In this chat with Ruth, I not only got to hear a bit about her insights on the topic, but also more broadly about the George Institute for Global Health, which was the venue for the event of the day. Ruth, thanks so much for joining. No worries. Pleasure to be here. Tell us a bit about 
yourself and what you do? Sure. So um, I'm a doctor by background um, and I joined the George Institute about 15 years ago as a researcher and uh, have predominantly had an interest in uh, looking at uh, improving the prevention and management of heart attacks and strokes in general practice, particularly or primary care, both in Australia and globally. And I now also work for our social enterprise, George Health Technologies, trying to scale up some of those interventions and um, implementing them more broadly. Interesting. So we're at the the George now, like as a, as a venue. So that's pretty. Yeah. So, so this is this is where it all happens. It's actually, quite it a is. large build. It's larger than I thought. I haven't been here, but it's a, yeah, it's yeah. A we're we're quite a big company. It's only been around for about twenty years. Started with three people, came over from New Zealand, mm. and now we have seven hundred people worldwide with offices in uh, Australia, China, India, and the UK. Okay, and so. Y- you develop like create solutions or provide support so you create you create the solutions yes yes so we create solutions so we have expertise particularly in global health um with a particular focus on lower middle income countries but Mm. we also obviously work in high income countries Mm. and we're working to provide new solutions not to develop new drugs we don't have any wet labs or lab-based research here but it's looking to use what we already know in a better way or a different way and to get solutions to market within the next five years so traditional research timelines maybe 20 years to get something to market we're aiming to be in the next five years and technology would play a pretty big part in all of that correct yes yeah. and so particularly in low middle income countries there's capacity for them to leapfrog us in fact because right. they don't have the legacy systems and the the i guess the technical uh complexity that we've developed around ourselves i was gonna say debt but <laughs> It's a good word, technical yeah, debt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they can have the potential to leapfrog us and do a lot of good with simple solutions. Yeah, okay, yeah. interesting. So you're, you're speaking later today. I What's am. the spoiler alert and what you might be covering? So I'll be talking around um, the use of data and the value that data can be, particularly from medical software or digital health devices, mm-hmm. and the need for quantity of data but also quality of data. Mm. So particularly when it comes to routinely collected data in Australia, we're starting to collect some of that routine data, particularly in general practices. The quality is still not quite there and the accessibility of it is still challenging. Um, and we obviously need to take privacy concerns into account, but also access to good quality data, but then linking it to other data sources has the capacity even in high-income countries to go to the next level. And we hear a lot about machine learning and AI, and there's no doubt there's a lot of hype around that. Mm. But there is actually genuine potential in health to use those sort of techniques, but only with the best quality data. And I think that's why we haven't hit the sweet spot yet. Interesting. So is this going to be something that, uh, say that a lot of the attendees or the audience that, that you'll be speaking to are um, you know, technical vendors yeah. and whatnot. Is this is this about big picture or are there kind of actionable items that they might be able to take back and work on in the immediate future or is this just kind of stargazing? I think there's a little bit of stargazing but also practically is taking that into account. There's value in that data as well mm. but also the capacity to do good yes. whilst making a profit and I think that's what we're interested in as a social enterprise in George Health Technologies but also encouraging others to think about how can you do good whilst also making a profit from your products. Ruth, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. Next up was the international guest speaker, main event for the day, Steve Posnack, the Deputy National Coordinator for the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at the US Department of Health and Human Services, or ONC for short. Stephen participated throughout the MSIA Summit and provided great insights into the US health system and also presented a session titled Interoperability and Interplay with Government, What It Will Look Like and How Software Will Shape It, Reflections from the ONC Deputy.
Steve, thanks so much for joining. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. What brings you to the summit? Well, I was in, invited to uh, participate on a panel as well as give the uh, closing keynote in the unenviable position uh, right before the networking uh, event at the end of the at the end of the day. But uh, here to share the U.S. perspective, uh, con compare and contrast the uh, different healthcare systems and digital health investments that we're able to make across the U.S. and Australia. Interesting. So, what do you do specifically that the in the U.S. that that gives you that insight? Yeah, so I work for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at the federal level. Uh, the office that I'm in has a long name, but if you uh, permit, it's called the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology. And so it's got to have an acronym, surely. We do ONC. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, some people call it ONC, ONC, but that would be the incorrect, incorrect pronunciation. <laughs> um, just like some of the other agencies uh, have three-letter, you know, acronyms. Uh, you don't call the FBI FIBI. That's uh, true. That's so true. Yeah, that's we go by pitch. ONC. Yes. Uh, uh, and so um, the work that we do is a mix of uh, a bit of regulatory-related work on the certification of electronic health record software systems mm. for use. Uh, by uh, healthcare providers that participate in government-funded programs. And then uh, equally, we do uh, standard setting from my office perspective, for, from a digital health perspective, and then uh, work with, in a public-private way, we make investments in pilot activities, testing tools, uh, other types of um, advocacy for digital health, patient access to health records, uh, mix of privacy and security-related dynamics, kind of a whole spectrum yeah. of... Uh, technology hyphen policy, as I like to call it. Interesting. So um, how, coming here to Australia, how much do you know about, you know, how the challenges that we face in health here versus what you've got over in the US? So is there something comparable? Do, do we do something that you do better? Do you do something that, that vice versa? Yeah. Um, what's the difference? Um, that's part of what I'm here to learn. Yeah. Uh, in, in, uh, in, in taking some lessons learned back uh, to the US, as I was just talking with uh, a few colleagues outside, um, even though the healthcare systems are structured differently, governments are, you know, structured a bit differently in how we approach healthcare. A lot of the same challenges, you know, that we that we face um, are, I think, addressed in ways that um, we can make a positive impact from understanding how each government approaches uh, mm. different work. So electronic prescribing, I know, is a bigger issue here in Australia. Yeah. Uh, we've made considerable progress in that in the United States. I wouldn't call it problem solved, <laughs> uh, but there's some lessons learned that I'm happy to share with uh, Australian colleagues here in that respect. And then, um, you know, equally, uh, as there are efforts uh, that the you know digital health agency here is engaged in, uh, we partner with them through what's called the Global Digital Health Partnership, mm. which is a multinational uh, government to government uh, related um, uh, affiliation where we try to share lessons learned across the year. Wow. Okay. Um, and and what do you? What are some of the things you think that the the, the members out, outside are going to be really honing in on and interested in from, from what you're saying today at the talk? Yeah, so we've made um, considerable progress. If anyone that, that listens uh, has heard of the, the EHR incentive program, which used to be called Meaningful Use in the United States, yeah, so this is okay. a multi-billion dollar uh, EHR adoption yeah. you know, program. So um, you know, hospitals across the United States now, uh, basically all of them have electronic health record systems. So That's quite right. a bit of success in terms of adoption overall. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, if you look at that from a success metric, uh, I think what they'll hone in on next is going to be, you know, like, so what? What's mm -hmm. next? How are we really making a difference from a healthcare perspective? And so we look at that in a number of different ways. Um, 
physician satisfaction with the electronic health record systems is not uh, at all time highs, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are lots of concerns about how to better integrate information into clinical workflows to make it easier and make doctors more efficient and more productive. Mm. And then equally to provide that data back out to patients so that they can use it to shop for care, to make sure that um, you know they're able to share their data with a caregiver or a care team, better engaging overall in uh, the healthcare delivery system. Fascinating. I can't wait to see the main event. We'll call it the main event. Yes, that's right. Not the last talk. It's the main event. Yeah. I, <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Thanks. Yeah, thank you very much. The next discussion I had was with Dr. Harry Nespolin, the president of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, or the RACGP. Harry was moderating a panel session called, What Do We Want From Health Software and How Do We Get It? As president of the RACGP, Harry represents the 40,000 GPs in Australia, as well as those in training. So his insights into the wants and needs of family practitioners while moderating this panel session were invaluable to all the attendees. Hey, Harry, thanks for joining. No worries. It's uh, been an interesting morning. It has. We've just finished the. You've just finished uh, moderating a, a panel with um, a few different speakers. And what, what were some of those those key messages that came out of that panel session? Do you think? Well, I think the the biggest message is about interoperability. And um, even though it's it is a difficult thing to do technically, I understand that it's not that difficult to do technically. I think the real issue that comes out is the the sort of the policy and the politics um, about boundaries between state and, and Commonwealth funding, really. And there's such a huge benefit out there for patients to have their information and their physicians have that information available to them at their fingertips. It not only saves money and time, but it also helps patients uh, you know, relieve their anxiety about um, a lot of issues, especially if they have to wait for potentially bad news. Mm. The other uh, other important issue is about who pays, yes. um, which is a very important issue. It's all very well and good to want the um, you know the gold standard, but um, and that's what we all aim for. But somebody has to actually pay for it, and you know often it's just left to the industry to somehow pick up the tab. Mm. And so uh, part of the I think the discussion was about who values, you know, who derives the benefit of the value from changes. You know, as GPs, we're often asked to do a whole lot of things for which we don't derive the value, but other parts of the system derive benefits. And, you know, we fairly, I think, are looking to uh, gain some of that value. Um, Look, it's often spoken about, but rarely ever delivered. Um, And so, and the same would I presume should be um, equally fair to the software industry if they are delivering value that saves money in the system. Then perhaps that those savings should be passed on to the software industry. And and so you you represent um, as as president yeah. of the RSCGP, you represent the GPs in Australia. Um, does does the what was discussed out there in the panel and what you've just mentioned does that represent some of the major concerns from GPs, or are there other other things that um, general practitioners really need from you know from the technology industry well look general practice uh, in really simple terms sells time Um, and so if we're spending our time with patients which is what we want to do and spend as much time with patients we don't want to be spending 10 minutes on the phone ringing up a local hospital to find out an x-ray report Mm. um, or trying to track someone down uh, or a specialist down somewhere in in a in a hospital, um, with you know, if they're in theatre or something like that. Mm. So what we're looking for, I think, is is better workflow. And it sounds pretty boring, but what it means is that it 
freeze it takes away time from inefficient um the time that's spent inefficiently yes the other thing that will develop uh, or the other issues that will develop in general practice over the next 10 years will be we'll be moving away from the general practitioner being the sole repository of all information and all knowing um, to being able to delegate to the rest of the general practice team um, you know that to use their skills appropriately but the issue is about following the money at the moment medicare only will generate a rebate if you see the patient face to face yes and that's an incredibly inefficient system in 2019 it was an incredibly inefficient system in 2000 <laughs> uh, but um and so what we need to be able to do is things like telehealth um be able to pay for uh, capitated type events so people with chronic and complex problems should be able to be taken care of by nurses and other healthcare professionals but at the end of the day, general practice is a small business, and mm. you've got to you know, you've got to invest enough in it to provide those services. And until the government's willing to change the way that it funds general practice, and there is some light, um, there is the over seventies uh, program that's being developed mm-hmm. by the Commonwealth at the moment, mm. as an example, and and that would be a, a good system. But we've also got to remember that the reason why often a lot of these chronic care um, or as uh, fundings failed is because they've tried to take over everything so there's a difference between acute care and chronic care um, acute care really will need to survive and so will chronic care uh, and last question for you harry in 2020 then more broadly for the rscgp what are some of the key initiatives that that uh, you'll be working on to so look what we're looking for is a few things so in chronic care we need to reward general practitioners for doing all the work that isn't Uh, face-to-face and there is quite a considerable amount of that and we're hoping that the new over 70s program delivers that with acute care we're very keen that we move away from just a rebate system where we've got this ridiculous system where um, if you want to charge a fee that you have to patient has to pay the whole fee up front Um, it really would be much more sensible and certainly technologically available where the rebate is still billed to the government and Mm. the uh, patient pays a fee. What that will tend to do is actually lower the fees overall because it costs less to collect them. Mm. Um, And what it does do is it provides really important capital for general practice. And so they're two of the most important things. The other issue in the longer term is that a lot more services will be moving into general practice over time as generalists. Mm. And the government at the moment, um, I don't think, is supporting uh, training sufficiently. We are, you know, we're looking at almost what's happening in the UK at the moment where there are, you know, they, they, you know the, uh, the various um, parties are talking about, you know, recruiting 6,000 new GPs into uh, the health and the NHS. I'm not sure where you find GPs. They don't live under rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether they're going to be able to import them from yeah. overseas. So, um, you know, we need to – We the healthcare system is very interconnected and so if you do want better primary care health services, you need primary health care physicians and what that means is that the um, – that better support for training of general general practitioners and that's another area that we'll be working on amazing a lot to do in 2020 thanks for coming in uh yep. in in the studio here it's it's between us and the lunchroom <laughs> so i'll let you get back out and see all the the, the members thank you so much no worries. the last guest that i had at the desk was none other than the president of the msia himself 
Robert Best. In my opinion, any software vendor looking to progress within the Australian healthcare landscape should think about joining the MSIA if they want meaningful progress on important issues impacting their business. Robert will talk more about the, what the MSIA does and why it's important and provide a summary of key takeaways from the 2019 summit. Robert, thanks so much for joining. Um, if we could start, tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. Oh, good to be here, Peter. So um, I have two roles. My corporate role is I'm the CEO of MIMS Australia and MIMS New Zealand. Uh, we are in 17 countries across APAC. We have 700 staff. And predominantly my role is to just drive the business across the Pacific region. And as you probably know, we're in the drug and medicine space. So around 70% of Australian healthcare would use MIMS as part of their decision-making around drug and medicines information. My industry role is I'm the president of the MSIA. Um, I've luckily been re-elected at the recent AGM for the second sure. year in a row. So, <laughs> so, I wouldn't have spoken to you either. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've just added another 15 hours a week of work yeah. to my work. <laughs> Lucky load. you. Lucky me. My wife um, hopefully won't hear this before I get to her. <laughs> But nonetheless, look, it's an honour, it's a privilege to be uh, re-elected and I'm looking forward to the challenge ahead. Uh, I think we have a great member base and 2020, I think we're going to make a significant difference as a group. Yes, so I heard as well there's been a fair bit of growth in the the number of members that have been on, that have joined MSIA as well. Yeah, we've been fortunate. We've grown, 2019 we grew by 30%. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a lot of work uh, speaking to different companies about the value that Mm -hmm. they will get out of a membership with Mm -hmm. MSIA. But I think it's testament to the hard work that we've done both as individuals within the organisation and as members because we now sit on well over a dozen different steering group committees, you know, that can influence policy, reform, investment, uh, direction within the, the the whole healthcare ecosystem. Mm. And I think that's important from an in- industry point of view that there's a collaboration and a, and a much deeper engagement. And I think people are seeing that and organisations are seeing it. So um, the uplift in our membership base, I think, is reflective of that. And it sounds like as well, if I was a software vendor in the health space, you know, so often I'm influenced by um, externalities and things that are outside that are seemingly outside of my control and it's like how do I go to the government and say you know this needs to change so it sounds like and from the, the value that I see anyway with MSIA is um, that that it's the the voice of, of of all software vendors for in health in Australia really absolutely I, I think that's a really nice way to describe it being the voice of the industry Really, I guess from our point of view, we are as strong as our weakest link Mm. and we need to ensure that all of the medical software vendors in in the Australian community, in the Australian marketplace, um, are are doing the right thing not just by their own company and products but by the industry at large. And I think that if we could be a collected, unified voice when talking to government Mm. around any of the steering group initiatives that I've referred to, I think that's far more powerful than an individual business doing it. And we all know as an individual business, you would find that a lot more difficult to achieve. Definitely. And so we've got the annual summit and and, and, and today it's been been successful so far. We're, we're, we're coming into the home stretch. What's your, your take on it so far and some of the, the key takeaways or, or, or things that have been um, particularly uh, that you've been impressed about with the summit? Well, look, it's, I think it's been a fantastic day. The first thing I'd like to do is do, uh, I guess make a special call out or shout out to the guys at the George Institute for Global Health for mm-hmm. allowing us to 
hold the summit and the AGM here. It's a wonderful venue. Um, we've had an array of speakers. We've talked about things that are very important to our member base. We're moving into a subscription-based economy, uh, not just in healthcare, but obviously many parts of uh, different industries and verticals are being moved to subscription models. Uh, we then had you know, Harry as the president of the Royal Australian College of GPs come and moderate a talk around you know, what, what do people want out of healthcare software and having some of those panellists, whether it was um, the global head of medicine from the George Health Institute here or Tim Kelsey, uh, Steve Posnack from the US talking about all these key areas I think gives insights for our vendors to better understand the needs and wants around what they can do for that software. Mm. Electronic prescribing is a huge topic that really does affect a large proportion of the primary care industry, whether it's at the prescribing or the dispensing end. So for us, that's been really important to get right and to have a session on that and to have that um, led by Andrew Matthews from the Australian Digital Health Agency, I think a lot of our members took out of that the status of where that's up to and what it looks like moving forward. Mm. And then having the Human Rights Commissioner come and talk about AI and uh, what does that truly mean to people around human rights and so forth. And the importance from an ethics point of view and a legal point of view, I think that shed a light for our members as well because AI, as we move forward, is going to be a large part of the healthcare ecosystem as well. So I think on the whole, uh, it's been a good day so far. It's not finished yet, but I think... As we conclude the day and giving some awards out to some of our members, including, um, dare I say, yourself, <laughs> congratulations yeah. to the Meta Optima team. Yeah. A wonderful award. But I think as, as, we, as we finish off the day and we have um, people from our friends from the US come and talk about what's happening mm. there, particularly around interoperability, and then you know, have some time together as a group will bring us all, to get, all together as a more cohesive membership organisation. Excellent. And lastly, how should uh, if there's um, any any players in the in this industry that think they might be interested in learning more about MSIA or joining up, how would they go about that? I think the first point of call would be to go to our website msia.com.au, mm-hmm. have a read about who we are, what we do, the things that we get involved in, have a look at the kind of members that are a part of that, and then reach out to us through um, there's a contact us section there. And we do have different membership categories. So if you are an established player all the way through to a startup, I'm sure that we can look at a way of accommodating you. But one thing I can be certain of when I say this is that I believe every single one of our members has had benefit from joining our association, whether it be directly through gaining strategic partnerships or alliances with others in the industry or indirectly through the knowledge that they gain from these kind of events. Completely agree, Robert. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Go check out the website, contribute to the forum, listen to other episodes and get in touch with feedback about the show because collaboration starts with a conversation. Speak to you next time.